Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello. Welcome. This is the first episode ever of Belligerent Beeves podcast, the drunkest Oregon State podcast on the internet. My name is Terry Horseman, and joining me are two of my best friends from college who spent more than four years at Oregon State University with me. We won't get into exactly how many years because we're not going to embarrass each other yet uh, too much. Um, it's a little early in the pod for that, but joining me from the Pacific Northwest, uh, JP Bertram in Portland and Benny Leo. Weehage in the Seattle area. Uh, hey. I believe it's Tacoma now, Benny, is that correct? That's correct. It is. I moved a little bit South about a year ago. There you go. And we should specify so that our listeners don't get confused. I know there are probably several hundred listeners already. Your name is <laughs> Benny, but you are not Benny the Beaver, Correct. Uh, often confused, but uh, that is correct. I am not Benny the Beaver. At least that we know of. Yeah, but, that's something you know, Benny the Beaver would say. <laughs> Benny if the Beaver would say he's not Benny the Beaver. Um, <laughs> this just popped in my head. I didn't write this in the outline. That's right. We have outlines and shit. This is so professional. In fall of 2006, didn't whoever was Benny the Beaver get fired for going to Claude Felters and drinking in the Benny the Beaver suit. Is that a thing that happened or does that just, is that a memory my mind just created because it would be awesome. I didn't have a fake ID by yeah. 2006. So I would have not been at Claude's when that happened. We wouldn't have so to, I, I, I wasn't there either. <laughs> that, that wasn't the same year where uh, Benny the Beaver's head got stolen on, on game day. Right. I had no idea that happened, but that's amazing. That did happen. I think they were different years. I know you're not supposed to ever know who the mascot is, but I, I, I have an inkling we could find a few uh, few past Bennies to come on the pod. If you're listening to this and you played Benny for any season or any event and want to share some stories, let us know. Uh, uh, yeah. Little known secret, actually. I was not actually Benny. <laughs> you guys... Would have never seen me at games, which was no, you're a foot definitely... too short to be Benny. <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> I do think that we uh, took the official I... Oregon State mascot over though with with the orange man suit that we sported at games for what two years, three years. There's no way that suit lasted two years. I think two games, maybe. <laughs> and it was disgusting after that. I've I've worn the Benny suit. I have worn the Benny, the full thing. You have. When did you wear the Benny suit? This is, of course, the voice of JP Bertram. I haven't yeah. officially introduced oh, you, yeah, JP. Joining from Portland with the Warriors uh, Pelicans game on in the in the background. How how are you watching the Marvel Cinema simulcast on ESPN? I had 2? to. I had to, and how, I'm pretty sure Draymond was the hero. As the as likely hero. Yes. The likely hero in the minds of all Warriors fans. Yes. Uh, but JP, how's it going? How's Portland? Portland's great. Uh, it's wet. It's beautiful. Um, we're creeping up to summertime, so it's great. Can't of get any better than that. What is the story of you wearing the Benny the Beaver suit? So back in one of my many years in college, I worked with the OSU Foundation, 
and we had to do some photo shoot and they needed somebody to wear the uh, costume holding a sign so they can get pictures of them, of Benny. I ended up being the guy who had to wear the suit walking all over campus for various photo ops. Um, I took the head off at one point because it's hotter than hell in that thing. And it smells awful. You know, when you high five Benny and you had that smell that sticks to your hand for three days afterwards, it smelled like that the entire time inside the suit. Uh, so I took the, I took the head off uh, until, and I walked through the MU. This is like in the summertime too. So no one's really around, but there's like the kids, the kids camp that was on campus. Right. And I was walking by them first. They were all coming to me and like pulling on my tail, jumping on my feet. It was awful. So I took my head off being like, I'm not really Benny. And it was like, all hell broke loose. <laughs> you scarred several children for life. <laughs> an, an administration person came running out of the MU and was like, we heard you were taking the head off of Benny. You're no longer allowed to wear this suit ever again. So we had to go back to the foundation and return the suit. And uh, that was my one day being Benny. You broke the one rule of the, being a mascot. The cardinal actually, rule of mascotting. No, I, I broke. The, I broke the other rule as well because I was talking, and the kids could like hear me. And <laughs> you're not supposed to do that either. It's really hard oh. for me to not talk though. So right. Well, please talk on this because it's a podcast medium. It's an audio only format. So we're going to need you to talk. And that you're all right. That is something you've never struggled with. Um, so yeah, happy to have you on the pod. Uh, Benny, how are you, man? How's Tacoma? Tacoma's great, man. Uh, it's uh, it's getting nicer up here as well. I uh, was uh, really enjoying myself here about a month ago watching the Beavs make it to the Elite Eight. Right. Um, and yeah, we're going to have the spring game on here uh, this week. Yeah, lots of excitement. We're obviously going to talk about the Elite Eight. We're going to talk a little bit of football, um, of course. This podcast is not only about Oregon State sports, but about having beers with friends. Um, and I want to know what you guys are drinking. I'm going to start with what I'm drinking, though, because although I am the furthest away from our dear alma mater in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where it was 80 degrees this past Saturday, it was wonderful. Uh, it's been uh, mostly in the 60s since then and probably for like the next 10 days or so. But recently, I got a pretty exciting shipment of uh, various buffalo sauces from fire on the mountain in portland oregon and also a very exciting development you can now buy great notion beer in minneapolis liquor stores all so right I, a great notion climbing ladders uh an imperial brown ale with apples maple syrup and cinnamon it tastes like french toast it's delicious it's ten and a half percent I could drink so many of these. So that's why, you know, we, we put the belligerent beefs tag on there because, well, we're <laughs> us. <laughs> it's not going to take that long. To out. Uh, but, you know, if, if we're ever well-behaved on a podcast, it might be slightly disappointing. But if we're ever not very behaved, hey, we, we told you. It's not just for alliteration's sake. It's an actual warning. But so I'm enjoying a great uh pint of great notion i can't wait to be back in portland again soon to have one in the actual tap room but this will suffice for now uh jp what are uh, you sipping on over there in portland so shockingly i'm not drinking a local beer because they don't last very long in my fridge and then the ones right. that we actually do get that are local i was 
banned from drinking today by my wife because she didn't want me to burn through all of them that we just got from the grocery <laughs> store. So I'm drinking a pie assassin by Anchorage Brewing Company. It's a North or New England IPA. It is six and a half percent. It's quite hazy. It's quite delicious. I'm almost done with it already. So I might need go. to go find a backup. Um, I don't really understand if there's like a reference for the name Pie Assassin. Pie um, Assassin. It also it also has a quote that says, "Watch your back, Gene." If I was Gene, I'd be kind of worried. Um, Gene, Gene will not be appearing on this podcast. <laughs> we should we should try to find Gene though, because I fear for them. Okay. Uh, but if they're the inspiration of this beer, thank you, Gene. It's great. I give it a four point two out of five on Untapped. There you go. Pie Assassin. I'm going to try and figure out what that means. Anchorage Brewing, I'm assuming that's Anchorage, Alaska? It is, yes. Excellent. Okay, so we've got Alaska in the house. The state of my official fake ID of college and the fake ID of about 20,000 other people <laughs> who went to the same guy who could only print Alaskan fake IDs. Uh, total, I don't know if it's uh, smart to out yourself for that on a uh, podcast format, but no one's listening, and that was more than 13 years ago. Uh, Benny, what are you uh, sipping on, my man? Yeah, I was uh, hesitant to, to sip on this, especially during our podcast, because it is out of Eugene. Uh, but uh, it's Ninkasi Brewing's Dawn of the Red, Red IPA, Ninkasi's uh, good. which is, it is good. And it's, uh, it's worth it to, to sip something from Eugene. It is 7%. And I have uh, uh, not uh, been drinking even close to the way I was uh, during my uh, elongated career at Oregon State. So we'll see how, <laughs> how this goes. For sure. You know, for us, us to be the best podcast we're capable of being, it needs to have, you know, unabashed honesty. So we can't just shit on absolutely everything in Eugene. <clears throat> I enjoy, I enjoyed the meal I had at Burrito Boy. I enjoyed mute, mute this man. Brewing. Mute this man. That's, that's about it. I'm saying we can say Ninkasi Brewing is legit. And we could say we hey, had some it, fun nights in Eugene. And then we woke up the next morning and got the fuck back to Corvallis as quick as we could. But it's Ninkasi and, and Dobros. Those were the, the Do, only Was it Dobros or Doco? Doco. Doco. Yeah. Do, it was Doco. Yeah. The, I yes. Think, I think Doco is a chain that's just in a bunch of random different places. But it, Eugene had one and Corvallis didn't. So we can. Uh, we didn't have many chains. Not really. We got, Peter remember, Pitt. remember, I think it was my junior year. It was when we got a Chipotle and like people went ape shit. <laughs> like that was, <laughs> so that was a huge Corvallis development that Chipotle came to town. Uh, that was at the opposite end of Monroe from the Kidoba. So that was the uh, first instance of the Chipotle Kidoba wars for me. Um, well, since we are uh, launching a podcast about our Oregon State fandom. This, you know, I, I sent the idea for this initially over a year ago to JP when quarantine had first started and all of us were bored and inside. And I think and we had no sports and we had no sports. So obviously starting a podcast right. about sports when there are no sports <laughs> to cover was smart. Um, I think a lot of podcasts have started and probably <laughs> failed in the last 14 months. This might be the next entry <laughs> into that list. Um, but just to, uh, to create a format chat about, you know, just how fucking fun and funny it is to be an Oregon State fan. I Clearly, none of us had any idea this magical basketball season was going to happen. So we're going to talk about that. But I want to talk about something else first, you guys. The three of us are often online and often talking about Oregon State sports, right? 
and we uh, say yeah. one thing yep. more than most other people. In usually on Twitter, we'll have hashtag go beeves, which most of Beaver Nation uses. And the three of us, and probably only the three of us, maybe a few other outliers, follow that up with hashtag chop em. And I want to spend a few minutes talking about chop em. <laughs> why we say chop em <laughs> and how that weird phrase was birthed due to existence. And I remember this being. Uh, probably let's say it's exactly 10 years ago tonight. Cause that's more poetic. So 10 years ago tonight, we had escaped Corvallis at this point. I think for the most part, uh, either Not I yet. was, I was graduated. You guys were almost, were soon to be graduates. Um, I was, you know, interning for the Portland Timbers, Benny's favorite professional sports team and a team JP loves to make fun of, uh, you know, some digs for that will probably be coming on either tonight or future episodes. And I remember being at O'Brien's on Northwest 21st Street. O'Brien's RIP, it's sadly not there anymore, which makes me sad because it was just, you know, your typical shitty Irish dive bar that is so versatile and so useful that just seems to be closing in, you know, city, the type of bar that seems to be closing in cities across the country. And the idea was we were talking about how Oregon State needed a catchphrase like roll tide or war eagle or like gigum or sickum or like you know all those sec schools that just have like cool little catchphrases or whatever because our branding wasn't cool enough and i remember kevin doan being like it just starts with an idea and a bunch of people who buy into the idea and somehow we landed on saying chop them as like our cool sec version of a, you know, encouraging phrase, whatever. And I think we texted all of our friends, hey, for Oregon State shit, start saying chop them now. <laughs> and a few people were like, okay. Our friend Funky Paul Molina was like, why isn't it chomp them? Chomp them makes more sense. We're like, no, Paul, it's chop them. Um, am I wrong? Am I completely making this up? Do you guys have any memories of drinking with me at O'Brien's and talking about this? I have no, I have no memory of that at all, to be honest. I do remember... I guess really my earliest, like where I really bought into this was when the line was drawn in the sand, are we chop them or chomp them? Right. And it was definitely one of those things where there was arguments on either side, Va very valid arguments, arguments though. very valid <laughs> arguments though. Clearly chop them one out rightfully. So I think, um, I have tweeted 30,000 times in my Twitter existence I think 26,000 of them have hashtag chop them. Um, I just looked my earliest instance of tweeting chop them. It was December 29th, 2011 at 6, 18 PM. Okay. I have no idea what that was for a, a bowl game. No. December 29th. <laughs> what? We didn't go to a bowl in 2011. Yeah, I, that was exactly. a rough season, man. That was so, the Sacramento state season. <laughs> this was clearly, this was clearly basketball. But I mean, this thing goes oh, yeah. back. I've got hashtag chop them, hashtag go bees, hashtag haul in, right? Like I, I, hashtag Chip Kelly is fat. I mean, this oh. is, hey, this, this is goes an fat shaming podcast, but I no, of course was, I took fat studies at Oregon state. Did you guys take that class? No, but I clearly did. this was after you graduated. So I don't know if the message <laughs> <sunk> in JP. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I don't know how it started. Okay. Um, but it still lives on. And the next generation says it too. My son says it. He's four. So there is some sticking power. 
Yeah. Betty, do you have any memory of this playing out when we were in Portland? I have to say, I, I don't uh, remember much about how Chopham came to be, uh, but I do remember that Funky Paul Molina was not involved in the original conversation of coming up with it. And I've never seen some person uh, try to advocate so hard for something that they weren't involved in in the first place. So it definitely is Chopham not chomp them <laughs> i'm I so happy you, you remember one, that detail of that it. is the one yeah that is one of the i don't the know if i was there I but remember. funky paul molina was not there <laughs> well and i think if you would, were to ask funky paul molina uh about that he would still say that it should be chomp him to this day which Probably. is unfortunate right all right well there you have it we don't know how chop them happened but there is you know uh social media evidence of us using it 10 years ago so when you hear us reference it on this on this pod, you know, it, it essentially means go Beebs, but with a little bit more ambition than go Beebs. Like we wanted to not, you know, absolutely name the Beebs in it, but just have, you know, people who aren't in Beaver Nation here and be like, oh, that person's talking about Oregon State. And feel free to adopt this as well if this is yes. your first time hearing it. By all means, exactly. the more choppums, the better. If I'm in the right. airport and I hear a choppum, I am going to go chug a beer and give you a hug. It's going to be amazing. Uh, yeah. If, if I, if, if I hear chop them in an airport from someone other than you two. Yeah. I, I have no idea what I'll do, but I'll know we made it then. <laughs> that, that, that's what that will mean. Um, so, and we don't know that uh, us, you know, tweeting chop them, you know, incessantly is not what helped Oregon state basketball, you know, finally reach, you know, that uh, magical level that they reached this past year. Um, obviously it was the basketball run where we started, you know, talking and kicking this idea around again. Um, you know, JP and I, uh, <clears throat> talked on my pod with the call the night, uh, Oregon state was eliminated by Houston. Um, thankfully some time has passed since then. So I'm still feeling a little bit more positive. Uh, but I want to start with football. I think it's a little bit more timely than talking about, uh, the men's and women's basketball team, uh, to start off, uh, it's spring football is going right now. We just had the NFL draft, and while I was very surprised and felt very encouraged in the moment when Nation Wright went 99th overall to the Cowboys, I thought that was a lot earlier than he was going to go, but I was very happy for him. Nation made a lot of plays for us and was a big part of that victory against Oregon this past year. I was so disappointed to see Jamar Jefferson last all the way to the last few picks of the draft. I was disappointed to see Hamakarishi Jr. not get drafted at all. I thought those two guys got totally snubbed. Um, but from a Beaver's lens, what were uh, your reactions to uh, Nation, Jamar, and Hamaka? Yeah, I was uh, I was really surprised to see Jefferson drop so far on the boards. Uh, to me, um, I mean, last year was such a uh, unique sort of season, and the numbers that he put up, especially in 2019 um just made me feel like going as late as he did uh was uh, was a disservice to him but certainly a a, a huge pickup uh for the lions yeah if you look if you look at jamar's year last year it was almost like everyone expected it coming right it was like his progress had just continued to compound on itself to the point where you're like there's no way this dude isn't rushing for less than 100 yards there's no way he's not going to break for something like more than 30, at least and like one exciting play. And then it got more and more likely as the games went on, right? He had those two big breakaway runs against Cal. And then we go against Oregon and we're like, 
they're sure as hell prepared for every ball to go to Jamar. There's no way that they would come in there and be like, they're going to throw it. So the fact that he's just ran all over the duck's ass all, all game long, just was a testament to how good the dude is and was in college. I was surprised he fell. I am a huge Jamar Stan, but uh, yeah, some, some of those comments post draft, I get the chip on your shoulder. Right. But don't throw us under the bus, dude. Right. I, I don't have his comments in front of me. Does one of you want to uh, repeat at least what he said or part of what he said? Yeah, to paraphrase, to it, it was something like, you know, he's he was under-recruited and came from a, a low-tier college is why he slipped in the draft. And look, we are not Alabama by any, by any stretch of the imagination. We have a uh, cooler catchphrase, though. We have <laughs> but like come on man yeah i think you had no other offers like this was your thing then right like Mm -hmm. i mean you know big power five offers so you should be like i made oregon state on the map right own it don't 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 blame it that that was my takeaway right right and i think that is disappointing to hear a little bit but i also think part of that is him you know sort of projecting onto the perception of Oregon State maybe and I know NFL scouts are looking everywhere for talent but there is there's still an inherent you know east coast and sec bias when it comes to the way that uh college football is covered I'm thinking back to a few years ago when Washington made it to the college football playoff and Kirk Herbstreet who has always been a shit analyst I said it did that whole like cupcake Washington schedule segment where he was like putting cupcakes on the table about like the, the teams that Washington was playing on the same Saturday that Alabama was playing like the fucking Citadel. So (laughs) all that stuff happens, you know, PAC 12 after dark is taking place when, you know, the most, you know, ESPN personnel is going to sleep for three hours. No one gives a fuck about Oregon state. The Gary Anderson era really set us back. I think in terms of like making any kind of mark, outside of the Willamette Valley. So I, it's, it's disappointing for Jamar to not, you know, totally, you know, Owen being a beaver um, or anything like that. But I, I can see how frustrated he would be in the moment. So I don't think there's a ton to what he said, but, you know, it's not Oregon State's fault he slipped in the draft. I think it's teams overlooking elements of his game. And Benny, any well, any thoughts from you on, uh, on Jamar and him falling so far? Yeah, well, I, I agree that I think that it was either a, a comment that was, I, I can't say that it was taken out of context, but probably one that was made uh, out of frustration on his part, because coming out of 2019, if you're Jamal, you have to figure that you're going in the first four rounds of the draft, right? Absolutely. In, in 2021. And so to see yourself drop to, <laughs> I mean, he was almost Mr. Irrelevant this year. It has to be a huge hit to the pocketbook too. So I understand the frustration completely. But to your point, I mean, it's it's not Oregon State's fault that that right. he fell as far as he did. I think it was and, a set of circumstances. You know, just to touch on what you're saying about the pocketbook, like Rashid actually probably had it better going undrafted because you get slotted in the seventh round, right? And it is it is nothing versus negotiating right. your own deal as a undrafted free agent. Right. Um, there are there are plenty of stories of dudes who out negotiated even like what would have been like a sixth round slotting for them. So. Mm-hmm. um getting getting selected you don't get a choice you don't get like you know any negotiation power on your contract and when you're that close 
to having his yeah. own freedom to choose where he could go. Yeah. The Lions are in full rebuild mode, but they also drafted DeAndre Swift pretty high last year. So I don't know that his path to a bunch of carries is super open. Like he's going to, he's going to be in a pretty crowded backfield. The one thing that, and I, I hate it when people sort of use this as an excuse, I guess it is something that uh, teams do view the draft through, you know, in trying to like look up weaknesses or reasons why he fell in preparation for this. You know, lots of, you know, teams call them a, a scheme fit or he, he needs to be in a running in a zone blocking scheme, similar to the, what Oregon state did, but a lot of teams in the NFL <laughs> run that scheme and run block that same way. And that dude came, you know, he wasn't a big recruit, but he came out of nowhere when he was splitting time his freshman year with Artavis Pierce. And he fucking ran all over Ohio state in that game. And he never looked back. Like, I just think, you know, this happens every year in the draft where we talk about guys who fell, just turn on the fucking tape and watch him running away from some of the best uh, teams in college football like what you and when you what you said jp when they know he's getting the ball i know he yeah. had a there's especially this last year there was a bit of a you know it, during um much of adrian peterson's tenure with the vikings some of the offensive linemen called it called his running style you know famine famine feast where it'd be like zero yard gain zero yard gain two yard gain but then the next one was a 70 yard gain and i think that was like kind of similar to jamar this past year but to hold that against Jamar is just insane to me. The Pac-12 was the last Power 5 conference to say we we're going to play. The season was so ill-prepared from a scheduling standpoint but on the conference, and all of the teams had to have been unprepared too, and Jamar just came out and balled. So I was so shocked that he was was not one of the first names mentioned on day three, and um, I wasn't watching the draft on, much on Saturday and I got in my car sort of as the draft was ending and had it on the radio and I heard his name announced at like 6 p.m. Central time. And I was like, what the fuck? How is this possible? Well, if you're talking about just turning on the TV and, and passing the eyeball test, like for me, that was Rashid, uh, right? right? It, like for the, our defense looked garbage two years ago and, and they weren't much better last year. So to look good on that defense, I think you have to have a ton of talent. And even though he had a little bit of a setback last year, I mean, the same argument can be made for him as we're making for Jamar, that it was just a weird season. Right. But you turn on the TV and watch him play in 2019, and then to say that he went undrafted, it's sort of mind-boggling how that happened. But, I mean, then again, you have the Pac-10 Defensive Player of the Year going in the fifth round. So I think the Pac-10 was just undervalued this year in general. Right. The Rashid thing kind of baffles me because I was, I guess I saw some pre-draft stuff that didn't like have him going that high, but like the pro football focus ratings like loved him. So I kind of thought that t teams with, you know, analytics forward approaches to the draft would jump on him as early as the fourth round. I wouldn't have been surprised to see him go. So I, I think that's a pretty bad omission on, on the part of the NFL, obviously. We're looking at this through orange and black colored glasses, but <clears throat> I think the Jets got a massive steal in the hammocker. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Agreed. Yeah. And it's, it's too, I mean, I, mean he, I know it's a, what have you done for me lately kind of league. So like his most recent tape is going to be what's taken the most seriously, but every, every team we were playing against was double teaming him and just trying to take him out of it. I think Hamaka is much closer to the 2019 version of himself or 2020 at worst. It's somewhere right in the middle and yep. in the middle is still a valuable pass rusher on an NFL team. So I would not well, be surprised if he just 
really made a dent this year or early in the season for the Jets. Uh, yeah, and I mean his his comments after he he signed that deal with the Jets was, uh, and this is paraphrasing, but um, I wish people would stop congratulating me and tell me to work harder. And it's like I love most that likely shit got, so much. Me me too. And he's yeah. obviously going mm-hmm. to most likely be a practice field player for the Jets. And I mean, what a better attitude would you want if you're the Jets than exactly that, right? I'm hoping the best for all of these dudes. Uh, Rashid will be joined by a uh, fellow Beaver, Isaiah Dunn. I don't think I wouldn't have been terribly surprised if he went in the seventh, uh, sixth or seventh round, but wasn't surprised to see him undrafted. But happy to see both those guys as teammates on the Jets and hope they both make it. It's always fun to see Beavs in the NFL. Um, so, you know, hopefully they make the roster and start making an impact. Now, transitioning from Beavs in the NFL to Beavs who are still beef i guess once a beef always a beef but beefs who will be playing for the beefs this fall assuming that uh you know second wave or variant doesn't fuck up this college football season uh we are currently scheduled <clears throat> to open in west lafayette indiana at purdue university i'm going to ask you guys a bunch of questions about the team this year and about smith but this is a road game against the power five opponent in the midwest my first question fellas who's coming with me Who's coming, man? Who's coming with me? <laughs> I feel like JP has so much of a better excuse to not go with you than I do. Um, so I I am uh, tentative, uh, but favoring the yes. I, I think I should be able to make it, Terry. JP just had a daughter like four months ago? Five months, Four months ago. ago. Four months ago. I mean, ago, she'll be little, she'll little be pretty petty. old by September, but uh... yeah, she can take care of herself by September. <laughs> I mean, well, she's clearly clearly slowly developing, if not. Right, Benny. We'll we'll fly in to Indy. We'll yep. s- meet up with friend of the pod, Aaron Stevens, in Bloomington, Indiana. He he went to yep. our friend A. A. Ron A. A. Ron Balake Stevens, a, a proud alum of Indiana University. I think he'll go just to cheer against Purdue. He might be he might cheer for Oregon State harder than either of us, just because it's against. <laughs> Purdue. Um, yeah, I already I've looked up uh, some breweries and Airbnbs and hotels in West Lafayette, Indiana. The goal should be for us to host a, a live episode of the podcast at a brewery at Purdue the night before the game. That's what I'm hoping for. I don't if, care if, if anyone we can, comes. We'll just podcast in the in the brewery. <laughs> yeah, if, if we can if we can lock that down, then I'm a definite yes. Hell yeah, baby. JP, you can zoom in if your if your family does not al- allow you uh, to travel um, at that point, but. Yes, I think uh, we absolutely need to make we, we in podcasting. You know, podcast starts and starts and fails all the time. You got to set long term goals. So, <laughs> being relevant enough to podcast from the Purdue game, I think, is a reasonable and uh, achievable first goal for us. In four months, that's your long term goal. <laughs> that's the first long term goal. It's not the longest term goal. The longest term goal. We. I mean, I think it's it'd be the great. Short- it's this the shortest long term goal. This is going to be the most short term long term goal. One one last thing. If we can throw in just visiting Hinkle Fieldhouse just to relive some memories. Yeah, uh, we Indy, gotta do that. Then then I'm in. For sure. We'll we'll swing by the, the gym from Hoosiers too. Um <clears throat> Hoosiers as well. There is not a movie called Hoosiers too. I don't think that'd go over very well. 
<laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, Oregon State football opens the season uh, September 4th at West Lafayette uh, against Purdue University. What are your guys' expectations for this football season? I want you to uh, answer first because I feel weird. Huge, like every year. Are you kidding me? <laughs> every year. You bowl spoiled, game. You spoiled Pac-12, Bay Area sports, man. <laughs> Pac-12 championship or bust. Realistically, I think a stretch solid season would be like eight and four. It really, really depends on how our quarterback situation looks, obviously. But there's some winnable games. I think our schedule favors us nicely, um, especially our home schedule. I'm definitely worried about the Purdue game because whenever we go east, we don't play well. That dates back to the Riley era. (laughs) Like ever. 34 to nothing at Cincinnati. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm worried about that, especially with it being the first game. I, I'm chalking that up for an L. Sorry to just put a damper on the beginning of the season and your your fun podcast at a bar. And hey, we're podcasting before yet, but... we're podcasting before the game. I will not commit to podcasting after the game. <laughs> I, I think after is probably probably more interesting, but we'll, um, pod, we'll, we'll we will have a podcast after. I'm not podcasting live from West Lafayette after a potential 49 to 10 Oregon State loss. Although maybe that'd be funny. Maybe like Purdue fans would just come by like feeling bad for us buying us beers. Benny, we you know we look you know we're we're approachable young men. I think we'd we'd make a lot of uh, friends of you know that Purdue fan base. They'd uh, you're giving yourself a lot of credit right now we, when when we're talking about spring ball and football season still months away. We we may, may not be approachable no, after a forty nine degree loss. We might be we might be uh, you know getting not just eighty six from. I think it's called Purdue Memorial Stadium. It's one of those boring names, but we might get 86 from West Lafayette, Indiana, and maybe the whole state of Indiana. So um, not a bad thing. Well, <laughs> we'll see. Sign me up. Um, <laughs> Betty, your overall expectations for the season. Yeah, I think that, um, so like we, are, we, we need to have a better defense in order to have a chance at all. Um, so when we're going to be watching the spring game here this week, like if we can get through the spring game without making, uh, like racking up 50 penalties, I think we'll be in decent shape because, um, the quarterback play was decent last year. Uh, the running back who's going to be starting BJ Baylor, if I'm not mistaken, he's had a lot of praise given to him. And just generally speaking, I think Smith is going to have the offense prepared more so than the defense. And the defense, it seemed like last year, like our schemes were okay and individual play was decent at times, but it was like the boneheaded mistakes that was killing us. So again, like if we can start shoring things up, then I think we have a chance to become bowl eligible, but like Smith has to become bowl eligible this year, or he's going to be on the hot seat and it's going to happen really quick because this is going to be his what fourth season fourth under his belt. Yeah. So, I mean, now he has all, all of his kids that are playing in my opinion is like the rebuild has to start the building process this year. Right. And can we also maybe tackle this year? That would be just phenomenal. I'm yeah. pretty sure you're supposed to do that in football, but yeah. how the last many few times- years of watching Oregon State football, I thought they were outlawed it to be, right. to so, be dude, so. how many times did we text each other where we're like, that was, I mean, that was a simple tackle. That was a routine. <laughs> you make that day one in spring ball tackle right. and, and we missed it. It looked like we were playing seven on seven in a lot of games with like yeah. flags and shit. Are we totally sure that Jonathan Smith, who is quarterback of the best Oregon State team in school history, who was on that team with a defense that was overly penalized even for the era they played in, 
if they played that style today, they'd be suspended for the season by the first quarter of the Purdue game. <laughs> so, um, is Smith overcompensating by <laughs> not, you know, coaching, coaching up uh, his defense to, to play like the 2000 beeves or is it completely unrelated? I think it's completely unrelated, but I just wanted to bring up the 2000 beeves and how that team, I think set records for personal fouls. It didn't matter for the most part. We that, okay. So that year we doubled up. I think USC was second with like 15 personal fouls. We had over 50 personal fouls that year. It was bananas to watch. And if we have a team that's half is that's half that, I would be so happy. The old the refs can't call a personal foul on every play strategy. Um, so just do it on every play, and you know it'll you know. Uh, water water everything down um i think bowl, bowl eligibility is my hope and i guess expectation so in 2019 we were five and seven and everyone said the beeves were ahead of schedule smith was a candidate for conference coach of the year with a five and seven record and probably would have gotten it if they hadn't lost that you know last second heartbreaker at wazoo and they would have gotten bowl eligibility bowl eligibility in that year honestly would have been an insane accomplishment going five and seven that year was an insane accomplishment just given where the program was in 2017 if you know if that had continued much longer there's no way we'd be starting a podcast about it because talking about oregon state football would not be putting years onto any of our lives or anything like that so Going into last year, I was hoping for bowl eligibility. Then as last year happened, it was kind of hard to assess. So now I'm not really sure what to expect or what's fair. Benny, you said if we don't get bowl eligibility, then Smith should be on the hot seat. I think that's fair. I said Smith would be on the hot seat. Well, yeah, I don't, he, would, yeah. he would then be on the hot seat, especially if it's like two and 10, it's a pretty hot seat. If it's five and seven i think it's a warm seat and i think that's fair to say i, next I agree year, with that get a get a bowl game i'm not sure who's quarterbacking us to an eight and four season i think the team is more talented the transfers coming in look pretty good i'm really i'm more excited for this receiving group than i have mm -hmm. been this side of the rogers brothers you know Treshawn harrison looked good and the little bit of time he got uh makia tongue is you know a pretty you know big name receiver to a transfer here. So whoever's playing quarterback, whether it's Jebbia, Nolan, or, or someone else, I'm not sure how locked in we are to either of those two guys. It's going to be one of the most dynamic receiving cores we've had in a while. So I'm excited. I'm not sure how much I'm, how much optimism I'm willing to put into all of this translating into wins this year. If it's eight and four, like JP, you said you are expecting to see or hoping to see, like I'm fucking elated. I think he should, I think Smith should get conference coach of the year. If it's eight and four, it's like, if all goes perfect. Right. I mean, that's like, we blow the game against Purdue. We lose at SC for like the eight, eight millionth time. We haven't, <laughs> we haven't won at SC since 1960. So I'm not, I'm not going to throw a W on that one. Plus they're pretty solid. I see us losing at home against UW. I see us losing at home against Arizona state. And then we go down to Eugene and just spank the ducks and give them the finger pee on the middle of Austin and leave. <laughs> I, that's what I would do. That, that's, I think we all know that, that's that would, would do. Yeah. Uh, he, Smith would not be on the hot seat. Honestly, like, I think that Smith like, would, would save his job if we were Owen, what, what would it be Owen 10, Owen 9 going into the Oregon <laughs> game. Owen, and we win. Owen 11. We have 12, we have 12 Owen games 12 on the schedule. Again. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and, I, and Terry, back to, back to your point, uh, going back to 2019, and we did. So we had to beat, uh, we had to win two of our last four games, right? Against Washington, Arizona State, Washington State, and Oregon. And we right. lost three of those. I think that I may have to be the one that the the Washington State game falls on. I don't know if you remember, but Max, you remember Max Max Borgie? Borgie I do. I'm Max <laughs> Borgie, and we started the ha- I started the hashtag. Who the fuck is Max Borgie? Yeah, because he was After, talking shit, and he, he deserved to have shit. that hashtag. And he, then you made that hashtag happen, and then he got on the field and beat our ass. God damn I scored it! Scored like man. five <laughs> touchdowns, including the game winner. Dude, the funny yeah, story about fun. that weekend. So that was a Friday night game and I was devastated. The next game, Minnesota was hosting Wisconsin in probably the biggest game in, you know, go for recent go for history and college game day was in Minneapolis. And so I went to the game. <clears throat> There's a group of Gopher fans uh, who I normally tailgate with here. And I always wear Oregon state stuff to the tailgate. And it was end of the season. It was a pretty warm day, but it was like snowing pretty hard. So just picturesque winter football, Minnesota weather. It was awesome. I'm wearing uh, this beaver, this beaver sweatshirt and a Minnesota hat. And my only goal for the day was to find the Washington state flag guys. This is like nine hours after the final touchdown scored in like, I think, I don't know. It was like a 58 to 53 Wazoo win over Oregon state. And I I texted some Wazoo fans that I know I was like, this is probably the best game ever played between two five and five teams. (laughs) Cause it was just so fun. The offensive plays were amazing. I watched it with some friends. I was going crazy. Uh, You know, if you're just a casual observer of a game, you're almost always, you know, uh, trying to cheer for a high powered, you know, tit for tat, you know, high scoring game. So it was awesome. And I found, I found the Wazoo flag guys. I have a picture with them on Instagram. And right when I walked up, I was like, uh, can I get a picture with you guys? And they were like, I don't know. What do you think of Max Borgie? <laughs> and initially I was like, fuck that guy, but <laughs> I respect them. And they're like, all right, I guess. So I was like, my friend tried to start a hashtag. That's it. <laughs> hashtag who the fuck is Max Borgie. And then he scored five touchdowns on it. He was like, Hey, well, thank your friend for us. So I absolutely, Benny, do put that loss 100% on you. So Smith gets an additional year of cushion to get full eligibility (laughs) because that loss was your fault. Well, and and I have to say, last year is not a loss because if we beat Oregon, then, uh, I mean, we did have a losing year, but does anyone remember any of the bowls from last year except for the national title game? Like last year really didn't count. I didn't think that. I remember not knowing that bowl games were happening until like four games into the season. Like I knew the college football playoff was happening and that like the other BCS games were going to go forth. But I was like, Oh, the Meineke car care bowl in Detroit is still awarding bids. Well, yeah. They're like, and anyone's eligible. Anyone. Oh yeah. They did do that. Anyone was eligible. We could have gotten a bid. Oh my God. I technically we were bowl eligible last year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. All so right. Smith, extension for Smith. Smith gets a 10 year extension. <laughs> and I think uh, that, you know, fake talk about a Smith extension is a great segue uh, over to the hardwood and uh, Oregon state basketball, specifically talking about, you know, men's basketball, because we've been, uh, you know, we've been chatting a while and the elite eight run was one of the most magical things to, to happen um, in a long time for that program. While we were in school, it was easily the worst men's basketball program in the country. Uh, all three of us sat through a season that was 0-18 in conference play. 
Um, I'm not sure if that's still 0-18 because that was the year that uh, USC had OJ Mayo, and I believe all of those games were oh. vacated. So maybe we're 0-16 in the official record books now. I don't think those games were forfeited. I think they were vacated. So we're still a winless, winless team. Uh, but obviously this March was, you know, the sun was shining on Oregon State basketball. The women's team advanced too. So I think this was probably the best season collectively for Oregon State men's and women's basketball in a long time. I don't remember the last season that both teams would have advanced, but <laughs> the men haven't advanced since 1982 and that was vacated by the NCAA. So, you know, <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, I know Scott Ruix had his ladies balling for, for the last decade or so, um, but Tinkle's boys made a run for the first time ever. And uh, Tinkle was rewarded with a pretty fat contract extension. Now he, will he is in. slated to be the head coach of uh, Beaver men's basketball through 2027. Now that we're a bit of a, a little over a month removed from the most fun any of us have had with college basketball, sort of what are your guys' thoughts on the program, the run we had, and Tinkle uh, signing uh, his extension and uh, some of the, you know, the transfer speculation and moves that have happened since then. JP, let's start with you. I think first and foremost, one of the things that at least in our circle gets um, very little attention was despite how awesome the season was and went, it was actually Tinkle's fifth winning season in his seven years with us, which is many more winning seasons than we saw of basketball uh, prior to him. So while it doesn't feel like this like immediate turnaround that happened, and I think a lot of it, we had some expectations because of the fact of the coach's son's recruits coming in were highly touted, and we thought, oh, they're the saving grace. Let's get this going. He's riding the ship. As a, as a guy who was a tinkle doubter, a tinkle lover, and a tinkle doubter, and is now a tinkle lover. <laughs> Has anyone ever said you, that in a sentence you, before? <laughs> I was going to say, you are clearly on the verge of laughter with you know every adjective you follow with tinkle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, all, I'm your, all for it. Give him the we, extension. Bring it on. We need on. to Let's Instagram the video I, part I, of this what? for just JP's face every time he says tinkle. I, I agree, though. I think that... And maybe it was just because I had JP on my my phone texting me every other day that that Tinkle was garbage, and I I agreed with it. I mean, we I think we all wanted to fire. I think we did, and yeah. it was because like we were seeing such little production out of anyone outside of Trace, and I think we were all worried that once he left, the team was just going to be like what we saw when we were going through that 0 and 18 season. And, and we kind of were for the first part of the year, right? Until February. And, and that's when things started uh, shifting gear. But the thing that I thought, like my takeaway from the tournament, other than it being maybe the greatest Oregon State moment outside of the Fiesta Bowl in, in 2001 that I've experienced was the depth that we had. And I think that's a, that's a, totally due to uh, Tinkle and his staff and the recruiting that they've done. So I'm excited for, for what's to come. And, you know, for some coaches, it just takes a little bit longer for them to implement their style and, and to truly get the type of kids that they want in their program. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's where, where Tinkle's at, but I don't think that we're going to find a better coach. We've tried that. And Oregon state's athletic program is just not to the caliber to get the type of coach that, that we want to, to get to the tournament every year. And so my hope is that Tinkle has sort of figured it out. And, and I really hope that, I mean, making it to the elite eight is a huge deal for recruits. So hopefully he's able to cash in on that and, and keep the run going. But that was, that was a ton of fun to watch. 
Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the recruiting that they've done. I still think a, a hang up I have, not a hang up, but just something that I think we do need to mention is that this will now be a new territory for him and for the program. He's going to need to get high profile performance number one player performance, number one recruit performance out of someone who does not have a father on the coaching staff. You know, the best players yeah. on this team for better or for worse, the last uh, number of years have been Ethan Thompson, C.B. Thompson Jr. and Trace Tinkle. Some encouraging signs, I think, from this past uh, this past run was, you know, the play of Maurice Kalu, who transferred from Oklahoma State. Yeah. And Rodrigue Andela, yeah. who was a transfer. Because during, even like, like JP mentioned, the number of winning seasons Tinkle had, there was these just sort of mystifying transfers. Like after we made the tournament in 2016, even though we were losing Gary Payton the second going into the next year and, you know, having the same magic would have been, you know, tough. Like guys like Derek Bruce transferring, you know, really, you know, set the program back. Ja'Cory McLaughlin transferring, <laughs> set the program back. Yeah. It he was, was in the tournament this year. And he was in the tournament this year and played really well. And yeah, you see Santa yeah. Barbara almost really had a huge well. upset. So it was just kind of like... Clearly, this is a level of competence we hadn't seen under Jay John or Craig Robinson, but there is still, you know, something missing. And I think we can all, even like Tinkle's overall record is sort of shattered by the season that followed his first NCAA tournament with the Beavs in 2016-17 when we went 1-17 in conference play. But that was, you know, Trace getting hurt. Ethan wasn't on the team yet, you know, Bruce transferring. It was just like, like literally all the wheels fell off and anyone would have gone like five and 27 that year, sort of looking back on it. It's hard to, you know, give (laughs) coaches a free pass for stuff like that, especially in like big, big time sports. But like you said, Benny, it's one of the hardest basketball jobs in the country, I think. And he somehow got an Oregon State team to the Elite Eight. We need to see what he does with this, uh, what kind of transfers it gets, what kind of, you know, uh, hype it generates on the recruiting trail. We're sort of seeing, you know, we've, we've got one big transfer from Maryland coming in, uh, you know, someone who's like leaving Duke has us on like his list of six or whatever, like just little I think, I think he picked. Things. I think he picked. Did he pick and he's not coming to Oregon State? No, but we got that him. dude. We, we got that uh, the dude, Trey Williams from Minnesota Except- the other day. Oh, Trey Williams is transferring? Yeah. To, to Oregon State? That's, yeah. He's a good player. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's like and we're going to have The to... player from Maryland is is the guy who's – he's really tall, right? He's like 7'2". Yeah. Seven seven two. Two. yeah. He, was, seven and he was a top 100 recruit and just hasn't been able to stay healthy so far in his college career. So, hopefully, the change of scenery and, you know, probably mat- physically maturing a little bit is going to be what he needs. So, I'm happy for a tinkle. I'm so happy for our program. It's a big extension and – we're going to need to like, we're going to need to get, evolve to the point where like going to the NIT would be like a down year or like an average year. Cause we, we've still never played in the NIT, which I think is kind of hilarious. We've had all these years where it's like, man, like if we make it to the NIT, I'd be happy. And now I'm sitting here being <laughs> like, if we go to the NIT, we're going to have to fire some fucking coaches. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but like, cause it's obviously not going to be an elite eight run every year. And, you know, Ethan Thompson announced that he's leaving the program, which I honestly get, I think it's the perfect time for him to leave. This is, you know, what you want to go out on. Um, I think, I don't know if Zach Reichel has announced if he's going to use the extra year of eligibility left, but I haven't seen anything from Reichel, but Silva announced he's at least putting his name in the draft. Yeah. I think Alatisha comes back and yeah. I'll tell you what, like, Outside of Stevie and Trey, I don't know if we've had – I can't remember a time where we've had two players 
that could very easily be all conference with Jared Lucas and the way he played in the tournament was I would he wasn't as good as Stevie in the tournament but he was really close right and and Alatiche and you could just see like Alatiche is 100% without a doubt an NBA player he will play in the league but he has to work out some of those fundamentals and you could tell he picked up basketball recently but to have those two players on the team next year will be really good and I think I think like this is the make or break year like we did make the elite eight but I think a lot of recruits can look at that as as it was a fluke it felt real but it also didn't feel real with with no fans in the stands and I think if you could make the tournament this year you sort of solidify yourself as being a team that can do that and and that will really help on the recruiting trail right yeah I mean the conversation for pack pack 12 the conference champions would help as well I mean like yeah we could fall short or get another low seed or something in the tournament but like being in the mix as the season Mm -hmm. winds down that's not because of the tournament pack 12 championship tournaments like it's exciting but like you know, if, if we're in the top four as the season winds down and a couple games bounce yeah. our way and it's like looking really, really could be likely like that's that goes really far as well. Like that's the one thing that's been missing so far from Tinkle is we're not really in the mix in conference play ever. Right. And we're yeah, we're usually shit on the road in conference play, too. So this year, though, this- looked a lot better. We did look a lot better. There's a big win in Utah towards the end of the year, but also this run of uh, six straight wins, huge wins, all at neutral sites. And you can get hot, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Tinkle because this was masterful. He threw up his middle finger to all of us who even inferred that this dude couldn't coach at any point and said, like, watch what I do with this, you know, weird roster of talent. And once, like, look what happens when they all buy in. But you know, you don't engage in tournament play all season. You have to, you know, travel to the Bay area and get at least one win at Cal at Stanford. You have to go into Arizona and pick up one win at Arizona state or Arizona. (laughs) We're that weird conference where you uh, have those, you know, paired, uh, you know, travel partners where you get to go to Seattle and Hey, that's fun, Seattle. And then like, let's (laughs) go to the fucking Palouse and play Washington state. And it's negative 20 outside. So it's, it's a tough travel conference. We're pretty spread out uh, from a lot of the teams that we play. And, you know, those, those games are hard, but if you can go 500 on the road in the PAC 12 and defend your home court, which we did do a good job of this year, it's an encouraging sign. uh, Then you're going to finish top four in the conference probably, and be in the, in the mix for an at-large bid. Cause as fun as this was, I would like to live to see old age. And if we're in a conference tournament like this, <laughs> the UCLA game, the Oregon game and the Colorado game, uh, there's only so many, so many of those games that I think a, a human heart can take. If, if Alatiche ends up leaving, I'll be very worried. Uh, but right Me now, too. so far, we've been told to expect him back. Um, and I think we'll, uh, we'll be set up for at least another, another fun season thinking about favorite moments in the last run or just on moments where like has it sunk in does it feel real yet because honestly i haven't i'm not even sure that it happened still this podcast might not even be real <laughs> i'm, I'm not <laughs> like your boy sh- kyle shanahan said i can't guarantee anyone will be alive past sunday this is <laughs> he was right we, <laughs> we all could all here, be though. in a most simulation yeah <laughs> most of us are here but like it's hard to pick a favorite moment from this run honestly because the entire run felt like a moment that just like had a, a lifeline extension over and over and over again. It was also like kind of draining in a good way. Cause I was like nervous, excited. It was like top of mind for me every day when they weren't playing 
and even more so on game days, I could not get it out of my head. Like, this is unreal. We can't blow this. Like, I just kept thinking that over and over again because I didn't want it to end. I didn't care where we ended up. I mean, short of being champions, like, I didn't care, right? right. If we were, all I wanted was a championship or bust. But like, I also was thinking, this is just too much fun to like change the channel. Like, I don't want to yeah. like turn off the TV because I just want this to keep happening. So for yeah. me, like, it was almost like, the season was just going on and on. And we're like, yeah, we're playing good. Some guys are coming in their own. This is really nice to see like people turn a corner late in the season. Maybe we'll make a run in the Pac-12 tournament. That would be fun. You know, it, it wasn't really, oh, we have to win this game, then this game. And then we're set up nicely to like maybe get a bid into the big dance. Like, so the season didn't really matter. It was like all of a sudden we started watching the Pac-12 tournament. And it was like, boom, we, okay, yeah, these guys are showing up. This is awesome. Oh, wow, they're, they're still here. And then it just, it kept rolling. And I just, I could, I didn't want to get off the train. It was like too much fun. It's insane to think about how we were all texting our group chat during that first UCLA game. What I couldn't watch because you can't watch Pac-12 Network anywhere, basically, <laughs> <laughs> especially in the Midwest. Fire Larry Scott soon. Fuck you, Larry Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Is he Fire again? Fire him twice just so he gets the message. <laughs> and we Hage was texting all of us. And then like I signed on That's to right. pack12.com and I activated the five minute preview right as like an eight minute review was starting. So I didn't see <laughs> a single play. <laughs> and I'm just like in my apartment, I'm making dinner and I'm like just trying to find any kind of content. And I'm just screaming at my phone, like literally yelling, like, Ben, text faster. And it's like, <laughs> we were tied up, headed to overtime. Gianni Hunt just hit the backboard, and it was literally like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> that was the opening <laughs> round of the Pac-12 tournament. And now we're here, and JP's wearing an Elite Eight shirt. Like, it is fucking impossible. I, I had There's so many favorite moments. Um, I find myself, you know, going back to uh, the extended highlights on YouTube of each of those six games, even the Houston game, I've watched a couple of times just because I remember like I finally got to that point where I was like, okay, the run is over when we were down by a lot. And then we just come back and Johnny Hunt <laughs> hit the backboard again, but it bounced off and went in and it tied the game. And I was like, <laughs> maybe if I watch this again, there's a different version where Oregon State actually won. <laughs> I don't know. You if just you guys don't remember. I didn't notice this live, but watching that game, but rewatching it sort of the Houston bench was like in a full on fight when we tied it up and they're like, yeah. they're like pointing fingers at each other. Like how the fuck did like you let them like hit that shot off? Like you did that. Like they looked in complete. They're falling apart. Yeah. It, it looked like they're falling apart and damn it. <laughs> damn it. We could have gone to the final uh, four. Another reason to go to Indiana and get kicked out of Indiana. You guys. Um, <laughs> well, so can I give you my my two favorite moments here? Uh, the first being obvious with uh, us beating Oregon in the Pac-12 tournament. That always, no matter, we made it to the Elite Eight and, and one of my top moments is beating Oregon. And we, um, we beat Oregon two out of three times this year. So, you know, that's don't right. Be, we that's, won. Don't get it twisted. My second was, and this was sort of just a feeling, but going into the NCAA tournament and being matched up against Tennessee, it was that five twelve matchup, right? And no one was giving us a chance of upsetting Tennessee. That was like the foregone conclusion. Which is that bullshit because Tennessee people was a pick five the twelve five upset every year. Yeah. We weren't the pick, more though. so than picking the five seed to win, right? Yeah. And when we when we were up, 
I, I think we went to a break where we were up like it was like 33 to 14 on Tennessee. We were just running up the scoreboard in the first half. And I'm sitting in front of the TV like I cannot believe what's happening in front of my eyes. Like the Pac-12 yeah. tournament's one thing, but this is something that's totally different. And and the Tennessee, right. I mean, Tennessee was just so much better physically and I think athletically that it was just, that was crazy to me where, where we went up by that much. And I think that was the point where I was like, okay, we we could go on wrong and, and sort of that feeling where it's like, if this is what North Carolina and Duke must feel like in the first round, where it's like, you don't have to worry about the rest of the game, but yeah, that was, See, that was, you fun. heard it here first in the belligerent beefs that Oregon state is like North it's Carolina and Duke. Yeah. That's are right. We, on my list of notes is, are we a basketball school now? Are we a blue blood? Watch out, Kansas. Uh, you got blown out by USC and we won USC's conference. So for the first time, uh, in any of our lifetimes, you know, I, Benny, you grew up a Beaver fan, JP, you had an older sibling go to Oregon state before you did. Both of you had reason to cheer for Oregon state before you got there as students. I didn't cheer. I, I had nothing. Oregon state was only on my mind because of the 2000 Fiesta bowl when I was a kid growing up. So I didn't have, you know, an emotional investment in the school, but still we were all watching Oregon state advance in the tournament for the first time in our yeah. lifetimes like that Tennessee game is huge and it just like it's like the num it's like the fifth most watched highlights of all of these games we had um I there's one moment where uh Reichel just spots up from almost half court when he doesn't need to I think it's in the second half when we were just really pointed on Tennessee does make a run and I think cut it to 12 at one point and Brendan Haywood who is the uh, color analyst for the game right as Reichel's about to shoot he just goes Ah, uh, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Reichel just drains it. It was just like, if that goes in, then everything's just coming up beeves today. And like, that is something that has never happened to us. Like we've never had that feeling uh, for, for men's basketball before. So like, that was when, you know, winning the conference tournament was so fun, but doing it to an SEC team in the NCAA tournament to advance like that was amazing. So I I loved that game so much. And that Zach Reichel shot is just going to live in my mind forever. If we're going to consider like, are we a basketball school now? Where do we start? I, I don't know where you start because it came out of nowhere this year. Like, I don't know if anything like from last year, uh, I well, JP, you and I talked about this the night of the Houston game on with the call that last year, right before COVID was when we were playing our best and that yep. last year could have been this year. I don't think the team was quite as good or quite as realized. They obviously didn't have Alatiche or Kalu or Andela, but they were playing really well. Jared Lucas hits that shot against Utah. Uh, we beat, we win the first round of the conference tournament against Utah in thrilling fashion, and then the season's canceled. So maybe some foundation was laid last year, but I don't think anything before that really counts. I don't think anything in the GP2 era slash the, you know, Malcolm DeVivier era, the Langston Morris Walker era, nothing against any of those guys. Anyone who played basketball. J1 flight, baby. Anyone who played basketball for That's Oregon right. State for multiple seasons has my respect forever because it has been just such a frustrating program. I appreciate yep. anyone. Unless you're Daniel Dean. 
Unless you're Daniel Jean or Sasha Chewich, <laughs> and then you can fuck right off. Don't we ever. We don't have your backpack anymore. If this is <laughs> the 80th minute of this podcast, if you're Sasha Chewich and you're listening, turn it the fuck off. You blew a game against Washington State my freshman year. Yeah. <laughs> Unsub- unsubscribe, bro. Unsubscribe immediately. <laughs> everyone else. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just like, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I'm not saying this came totally out of nowhere because that would imply that, like, it was just luck. And I don't think it was luck, but I don't know where you draw the line in the sand i think it's just you know tinkle probably becoming a better and better coach all the time and building up this group of kids this season and them finding the way at the right time well and i think that what like we've talked about this before on multiple occasions that tinkle tends to lose players um in the transfer portal more so than other coaches right and we were sort of wondering uh what's the culture like at Oregon State if so many players want to leave but the way that that team came together I mean that shows that Tinkle and his coaching staff know what they're doing because I don't think that any one of those players I mean no one's NBA ready right now or or, or really even close um Alatiche may be the maybe the um outlier there but um but th- they came together as a team and I think you heard a lot of the commentators during the games mention how well Oregon State's playing as a team and they bought in yeah. um, to the way that Tinkle wanted them to play. So I think there is a huge amount of credit that goes to Tinkle and his staff. Well, especially on the defensive side of the floor. Like, did we see a good defensive possession of basketball in the four plus years of college <laughs> that yeah, we spent right. in Corvallis, Oregon? Like, you know what? Hold they, on. I don't know about that because there were games where Oregon State was would lose like – 43 34 sure yeah there was that so Craig there Ra- must have been defense no this is right. jay john era well jay john and this then- is marcel jones sasha uh, chewich angelo sakarakis this was those guys didn't play any defense but no they could have been a down Chris here in the back they're talking um Chris craig Ra- craig rob did bring in <laughs> that uh that one three one zone that you know frustrated teams and you know seth tarver was a good defensive player but I never the, the way, even though Cade Cunningham, I think, put up 26 points against us, the way we switched and moved on defense against Oklahoma State and against you know Loyola as well. Well, and switch the defense formation too. Like yeah, and it wasn't like this is like, oh, we run a weird zone. Uh, you don't score on it for 10 minutes and then you kind of figure it out, whatever. Like we were just I couldn't keep track of what kind of defenses we're yeah. playing. We were throwing action at him everywhere. All and exactly. Time. And, you know, credit to Alatiche where he was just on every piece of hardwood the entire game. He had, was just blocking the fuck out of Cade Cunningham's shot, who might be the number one pick in the, in the NBA draft this year. Until Jared Cunningham, we never saw any thunderous dunks. And I don't think I've ever seen an Oregon State basketball player beat the fuck out of a lottery picks shot, let alone someone who's in conversation. <laughs> For the number one pick. Yeah, I mean, he shot, uh, it was like 25% for the game. It was six for 20, which is insane that someone that's going to be in the NBA draft at all shooting 25% in the tournament game. Um, but someone that's going to be uh, presumably the number one pick, that is such a huge testament to our defense. It's yeah. crazy. I think, not even necessarily like if like a favorite moment, whatever, but just something that I did notice, the day I felt the worst the, the worst day leading up to a game, like it was so fun, whatever, but my most miserable time of existence were the hours leading up to the Loyola game. I like, I, I met up with, uh, you know, our friend Joe maybe here in Minneapolis to watch that game. And I was like, 
he had to remind me to breathe and like, you know, to take breaths or whatever. I like my back hurt. I was anxious. I had the shakes. And then sounds like me every morning. We played, (laughs) we played so poorly to open the game. And then it was like, boom, the team's nerves were gone. My nerves were gone. We took that lead and I know Loyola got it close again, but I don't know. To me, that game ended when, uh, Alatiche threw that, you know, 70 foot bomb to Ethan that ended in a dunk. And we all texted each other, like, put him at quarterback. <laughs> and then I Jebbia like liked Ty- my tweet. Jebbia, yes. I love that Jebbia liked your tweet on that. <laughs> See, we're tying, we're tying segments together here. This is, this is wonderful podcasting. Exactly. This you think I didn't have a, a plan for this, Jay? I've been, <laughs> I've, cl- I've been thinking about this since the second week of quarantine in 2020, when I first texted you about an Oregon state sports podcast. Um, I'm sure you awesome. foresaw connecting the Alatiche's throw to yeah, I, quarterbacking. <laughs> for I'd, I had watched all kinds of film on Warith Alatiche months before he announced he was transferring to Oregon State. <laughs> um, <laughs> awesome. Well, we're coming up on a quite quite a you know a, a full first episode, so I think we will start to sign off here. Thank you guys both for uh, being down for this. Any any final thoughts on? Uh, Oregon State sports or beer or anything else uh, in the world right now. JP, it looks like you're eager to say something. <laughs> yeah, I think that we should be more belligerent for episode two. That is my one takeaway. I think during we're, – we're, we're doing this now. It's, it's May 3rd. Football season is about exactly four months away. We're going to do this – potentially after games <laughs> it's gonna get the, so the belligerence bad. will be up we'll have to figure out a schedule when it's basketball season uh, i don't think we can you know recap every single game uh but we'll, we'll 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 land on a weekly schedule for football maybe we'll wait until sunday to you know let the air clear a little bit um but i know i don't know i think for podcasting sake pressing record immediately after beating oregon sounds like a fantastic episode yeah <laughs> and and as as and may i add we can we please have uh, the original orange man jesse the jive man johnson on this podcast <laughs> at some point does anyone know, know where he is? The way, if you can if there's one the, if there's if you can if there's one the person that's going to randomly of, uh, of the jive, I will send him a zoom link and he can Thank do with you. it what he wishes. Uh, so, but yeah, we'll definitely, we'll, we'll line up some guests. We'll, we'll talk more than just uh, basketball and football. Um, you know, there's some, you know, ex- there's exciting stuff with uh, the, the women's program as well. Uh, my girl, Michaela Pivik is currently on the Minnesota Lynx training camp roster, hoping she makes Lynx party zone Lynx party zone, baby. I'm stoked for a WNBA season. Um, JP is stoked for the Warriors to win the play-in tournament, potentially beating the Lakers, which would be the funniest fucking shit ever. Um, so we'll we'll be <laughs> touching. I can't on wait the to see Pouty LeBron. We'll probably uh, be posting episodes uh, every well, every other week while it's you know uh, main uh, college sport offseason. I think we'll try and do some uh, research on Oregon State baseball. There might be a tournament run for them coming. It's I don't know if there's any Oregon State baseball savants here, so maybe we'll have to call in some reinforcements for that one. Or we'll just uh, recreate O-State ballers and lay Live. down a track, and that'll be a podcast episode. That will be the podcast. We'll get Mitch, we'll get Mitch on. And any, any listeners who tuned in were like, oh, I'd listen to another episode would then uh, unsubscribe, you know, pretty, pretty abruptly. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so thank you uh, for tuning in. Uh, please like and uh, subscribe and rate and review. It helps grow the podcast a lot. There are already some very good Oregon State podcasts uh, on the internet right now, but there are not nearly enough. We don't have nearly enough uh, shows as other universities. And our fan base is better than those universities. Like I said, the Harvard of the Pacific Northwest, the Paris of the Pacific Northwest. We should have the classiest content. And we should also have this podcast, which is not classy at all. But uh, thank you for tuning in. Um, we will probably have some social medias launching soon. We do have a Gmail, belligerentbeeves at gmail.com. Send us uh, some info. And yeah, like and uh, follow wherever you get your podcast. My name is Terry Horseman, and I'm joined, as always, by my friends and fellow belligerent beeves, J.P. Bertram and Benny Weehage. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Chop them. Chop them.